Welcome to the most excellent 80s movies podcast. It's the podcast where we say hello to our little friends, which are the 80s movies that we think we love or might have missed. Watching them now with our grown-up eyes to see how they hold up and to find out if the world really is ours. Today we're talking about Scarface, a movie selection from 1983. Okay, so what do you call yourself? Eh? Como se llama? Antonio Montana. And you? What you call yourself? Where'd you learn to speak the English, Tony? Uh, in a school. And my father, he was uh, from the United States. Yeah, just like you, you know. He was a Yankee. Uh, he used to take me a lot to the movies, you know. I learned. I watched the guys like uh, Humphrey Bogart. They scared me. They, they teach me to talk. I like those guys. I always know one day I'm coming here, United States. 1980, Miami. They called it Little Havana, where the American dream had a price tag, and only one man in a million was hungry enough to pay. This country. You gotta make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. Scarface. For one brief moment, the world was his. Check his way. She liked me. He must be kidding. What you talking about? That's a Cadillac. How do you know? The eyes, Chico. They never lie. Man, that's the boss's lady, okay? I am the boss. That guy's soft. I like you, Tony. There is no lying in you. Here's to the land of opportunity. We do business together a long time. I know the street. And I'm making all of my connections. Remember I told you when you started, the guys who last in this business are the guys who fly straight. With the right woman, there's no stopping me. I could go right to the top. Okay. The word on the street, Tony, is you're not a small-time punk anymore. Supreme Court says that your privacy can be invaded. You suit the house this month? You're spending a lot of money on this counter surveillance. We're doing 10 million, 15 million a month. Come on. That's serious money, you know? Your bank boys gotta come down a bit. Who else can you trust? That's why you pay us what you do. You trust us. You're in good hands with us. Al Pacino is Scarface. He loved the American dream. With a vengeance. Al Pacino, Scarface. And that's Scarface, Tony Montana. He just starts off at the same speed he's going to be going at the whole time. Um, 
Uh, I'm Kathy Lenz, director of the Neighborhood Comedy Theater in downtown Mesa, Arizona. And with me, as always, is filmmaker Nathan Blackwell. Hello. Thank you for joining us. And joining uh, me and Nathan today is one of our very favorite guests, author Craig Michael Curtis. Hello to you all. Hello, Chrissy and Nathan. Last seen on uh, Goonies and... um, I know. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. (laughs) It's been far too long. And we had to bring you back for, um, you know, Silverado and Goonies. The third logical step in that progression is Scarface. Of course. And anti-chronologically. But yes, absolutely. Scarface Mm -hmm. and... The the uh, the '80s trilogy there, Silverado, <laughs> Goonies, and Scarface. Well, we're this is our first, and like we're doing like a greed is good, excess and mm-hmm. uh, mean people uh, double feature of Scarface and Wall Street. And you know what I realize is that we also accidentally that they these are were written by the same writer, Oliver that, Stone. Oliver Stone, yeah. That's yeah, right. that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Oliver Stone in the 1980s had a notion of what the American dream was. He did, and he <laughs> and wanted he... us to know it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard during the writing of Scarface he had to uh, leave America because his own cocaine habit was out of control. He needed to just kind of detox out of the out of in Paris just to get the script done. <laughs> He went to Paris for some peace and quiet. The the cocaine in this movie is, and I get that that's part of it, but it's like literally out of control. It's just like they're throwing it. They're not only throwing it up their mo- noses, they're throwing it into their mouths with just like, it's, it's shocking. Um, all right. Scarface. Have, have you, uh, is, uh, this is a cult movie this is a movie people are obsessed with yeah are have you seen it a million times how beloved is it to each of you (laughs) um starting with nathan well so this was not a movie that i grew up on um uh it was definitely i was more aware of it from like saturday night live parodies Mm -hmm. you know or or like um the most famous, of course, the most famous line, say hello to my little friend. It would show up in pop culture, you know. Um, uh, I've got an interesting story that I'll, I'll swing back of, is that I was actually introduced to some of the storyline without actually knowing it. It was mm-hmm. a recreation of Scarface in high school. Um, but uh, but no, this was this was one that I I, 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 you know, I feel like I know this movie way more than I actually do just because of having played the Grand Theft Auto games. Ah, I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Grand yeah. Theft Auto 3 and Grand Theft uh, Auto 3 Vice City, those two have a ton of Scarface uh, references and kind of like were made in the shadow of of their love of Scarface. Like there's five, in, in, the, in Grand Theft Auto 3, there's five songs from Scarface that's in the thing. So when I watched Scarface for the first time, it's like, oh, I know all these songs, you know, and and like even some of the characters and 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 some of the locations are are based off of it. What about for you, Greg? Well, uh, not unlike Nathan, um, the the first time I saw Scarface was literally the other night. 
<laughs> and, um, but it's been in the zeitgeist, I guess, for 40 years now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you feel like I, you know, watching it for the first time, I feel like I've known this movie my whole life because mm-hmm. it is, especially in um, like our age, young filmmakers our age um, often were very much inspired in their own work by emulating the at least the action elements of Scarface, if not the dramatic right. elements of Scarface. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one-liners, there's a ton of one-liners that you hear all the time, even if you don't know the context. And maybe uh, there's probably a few of them I heard that, I don't know, I didn't even know that was from this movie, but I've heard that around. I've heard people quote that. Mm-hmm. Now I know where it's from. Mm-hmm. And Was um, it first you get the money? Yeah. The yeah, like Simpsons quotes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I, having never seen the movie until just just now, I didn't realize how much of my pop culture consciousness it was was already baked in. Yeah. Um, having never seen the movie at all, I've seen like obviously you see the clips that are very famous, and you know, okay, well, this is a clip from Scarface. Say hello to my little friend. Mm-hmm. Everyone sees that, and the the opulent um, palace that he lives in, but. The whole first half of the movie has nothing to do with any of that yet. That's right. that's his descent into excess at the end of the movie. Uh, but even the earlier parts, uh, so much of it does feel like, hey, I feel like I've seen this movie before, but I know I haven't. Right. That's definitely how I feel about it, too. Um, I saw this when I was in college because I knew that it was a missing puzzle piece in my comedic knowledge (laughs) because I needed to know about Scarface and I needed to know about Tony Montana in order to be able to joke about it uh, most efficiently and sort of joke about this genre of movie. So I watched it then and I I definitely had a different experience watching it then of feeling like it was very exciting and sort of like thrilling to be like, what's going to happen next? This guy's bonkers. This is out of control. I can't wait to see. Oh, boy, I want a big bathtub like that. I want to <laughs> hold all my meetings in a bathtub <laughs> <laughs> and have other people sitting next to the bathtub um, asking what to do next. Uh, but this time it hit a little different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It definitely was like more like, oh boy, more of this, Tony Montana. Come on, oh Tony Montana, you said again. Um, and I think the thing that really struck me the most this time is that he he starts off at a ten, like Al Pacino, Tony Montana starts at a ten, yeah, uh, and he goes up from there. Mm-hmm. I was kind of yep. surprised considering the journey he is taking, at least in the on paper mm-hmm. of his, you know, descent into basically this chaotic madness. Um, yeah, he starts, he may, maybe he doesn't start at a 10, but he starts at a high eight mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of his intensity level. And I, I, I'm sure it wasn't the case at the time, but watching the movie, he seems like he's doing a parody of himself. Right. Of, the movie that he is in right now, mm-hmm. it's like if you were doing a parody of Scarface, you really wouldn't have anywhere else to go with the the <laughs> the craziness of Tony Montana. How do you how do you just oh 
we're just going to take him to the next level. There's no other level to take him. Yeah. And I mean, Al Pacino finds a way. He finds a way to go past 10. But you're right. If you were like doing a Tony Montana impression, you'd be like, that's too that's too much. You need to just <laughs> dial that back. And then you'd watch the opening scene of this movie and be like, no, you nailed it. Yeah, spot if on. anything, you didn't go far enough. Um, he, <laughs> he starts out talking to the cops. We get So we get some opening screen um, words. Right. About- it, it, it's kind of tied into um, when Cuba uh, let a whole lot of people, you know, dissidents and criminals and and it's tied to real events in the mm-hmm. beginning that they use as kind of a gateway into uh, the story. Right. Because he's immigrating to the United States. And he, so this is his like, can you live in the United States interview? And he is not in any way trying to be polite to these people who are holding his immigration status in his hand. There's no politeness in yeah. Tony Montana. Um, he is like biting at them and sniping at them and they're, they're biting and sniping right back. Uh, but they send him to a sort of like a refugee camp. Yeah. For the, the people they're not sure they want to let into the country. It's like a holding tank. So it's like all of the people who are Tony Montana esque. And it's like underneath (laughs) a freeway overpass too. Yeah. Which was interesting and they get the they get the word through manny who is his cute friend right (laughs) is the cute one um that if they i thought he was pretty cute nathan did you think he was cute Mm, i I, I, he was my second favorite cutest (laughs) man in this movie cutest henchman yeah cutest lieutenant that that was a real tough rating i mean angel (laughs) was dreamy but he died early he did Um, he really uh, he got hit hard. Um, so they they have to do a hit in their little uh, refugee camp in order to get out and get green cards, which like immediately lets you know the world is yours if you're willing to stab a guy in the tum tum. <laughs> That's yeah. That was the that was their ticket out of the refugee camp was to basically um, assassinate. A fellow refugee who also happened to be a like a turncoat for Castro, who Castro disposed of, but he was like this communist um, like enforcer back in the day, and now he's just this poor guy who's a refugee like the rest of them. And someone on the outside wants to get revenge on him, so they hire Tony and his buddies to during a riot to to just yeah, during a him. pillow fight. Yeah. During and, a very and, angry pillow fight, and so he's got he. It's Tony and three friends, and I felt like some of those friends were barely involved in that assassination, and yet mm-hmm. they still got the green card. So it's mm-hmm. just—is it just like the team? It's not performance based on how much you yeah, participated in in the assassination. Yeah, some guys were just chanting. Yeah, they were. But, they were. They were beating him to, uh, to the the wolves. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were the. Um, Whatever the 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 the, the fox is chasing yeah. the fox, beating the fox out of the bushes. So then they end up work. So they get out and they end up working at a uh, a little Havana restaurant, and they hate it. And they're like, yeah. "We don't want to have jobs." Like a greasy spoon thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like fry cooks or dishwashers and stuff, and it's like, 
yeah, this isn't what we were, this isn't what we signed up for. Nope. And I also find it hard to believe that they have those skills. Like I would never have hired them. Like, (laughs) can you imagine his interview for a dishwasher? Hey, I want to be a dishwasher here. Okay, great. You don't want to wash dishes? No. No. And I hate you. And it doesn't matter what, you know, just like being very aggressive because they walk out on him the minute they have the promise of another job. These two guys who gave them the Rebanga hit job have another job for them. But Tony wants something even bigger than that. So- I, I think originally it was, hey, you're just going to go to this boat, pick up some marijuana and we'll pay we'll, we'll pay you like, you know, 500 bucks. And the other guys are like, "Ooh, 500 bucks. That's great. But Tony is like, no, 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 no. This is chump change stuff. Give us something real. So, okay, uh, go do this uh, cocaine deal instead with Colombians. Mm-hmm. And it was like, all right, we'll see if this you can do next level stuff. Yeah. So he's talking to F. Murray Abraham, one of the, the many Latin people who are not Latin in this movie. Mm. Yeah. So, so I wanted to discuss with you. Okay. So, but. Obviously, Al Pacino is is not Cuban. Mm-hmm. No. And F. Murray Abraham, as far as I know, is not Latin. There's there's a spectrum of how these performances. There's at least four or five people who are not Cuban who are playing Cuban or Latin American. Mm-hmm. Minimum Name, in this movie. Actors. Yeah. So it wasn't let's just a cast a white guy. We're on like- this. Okay. So we've got F. Murray Abraham. Mm-hmm. We've we've got Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've also got uh, later Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio Mm -hmm. in the movie. And then we've got Robert Loja. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So where on this spectrum would you place everyone's accent and performance? (laughs) (laughs) Like listening to the trailer, like Tony sounded pretty good, you know? Al Pacino. Mm -hmm. It's obviously something very distinct. And when you see him, it's tough to, to... unmarry the visual of Al Pacino. I thought he sounded like an evil Ricky Ricardo. (laughs) Um, I guess that's what he was going for. Um, Mm. But yeah, in terms of accents, I think the others were kind of, uh, I'll just say understated. (laughs) Understated. Chrissy, we're on this. So on on the end of the spectrum, we have completely convincing. And on the far end of this, the, the other end of the spectrum we have maybe robert loja yes I... <laughs> but that's part of the fun of this movie if there's any fun to be had in this movie it's to look at where it lands in the 1980s you know 1983 where everybody was just okay with white people being any ethnicity and doing full-on ridic ac- accents and mm-hmm. like going as far over the top as they wanted to. And I think this movie is on, on the scale of one to 10. It's the 10 of white people doing (laughs) not white accents. And Mm -hmm. that's what makes the impress. That's what makes it so sticky in our brains because the impression is so fun to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cause it's, I mean, it's it's ultimately a dark gangster movie, but there is a lot of fun in it in terms of the excess, in terms of the performance, in terms of just the sheer 80-ness, mm-hmm. the 80s, 80s-ness yeah. of it, you know? 
And I bet Michelle Pfeiffer was just showing up on set being like, I'm so glad I don't have to do a crazy <laughs> accent. Yeah. Thank God I'm playing a waspy blonde white woman from Baltimore. Yeah. She uh-huh. she hangs out with Mary uh, Elizabeth Master Antonio and she's just like, so how's how's your day? <laughs> I'm not doing any crazy accents. Uh, but we both have fabulous hair. <laughs> so the first thing out of the gate I think, or, or the first thing out of the gate of where we're, or where we've arrived so far, is the whole chainsaw situation, mm-hmm. which to me is like maybe the third most memorable thing about this movie. Of course, like number one is say hello to my little friend. Maybe the chainsaw is the second most memorable thing because in it's terms like- of action scenes, it's obviously second to the little friend sequence at the end, mm-hmm. but it's probably the most iconic or memorable of the action stuff that's in the movie apart from that and it's basically the first i mean technically the assassination and the riot counts as an action scene but this one is definitely this one sticks with you oh um, yes it's, it does. it's yeah it's the cocaine deal gone bad they have the cash in the trunk but they're not going to give it until they know they have the actual cocaine and then they are betrayed uh, and ambushed, and Tony's uh, wingman, Angel, uh, who they, they went up together to the apartment to make the trade, they get ambushed. Angel gets tied up and put in a bathtub, and they say to tell Tony, give us the money or we're going to chop your friend up. Tony won't give him the money. So they turn up the TV so the noise cancels out, and then they pull out a chainsaw, <laughs> and yeah, and they, they make Tony watch as they like carve, carve mm-hmm. up a little angel. Um, and which, uh, like turning up the TV is not going to help you in that situation, and yet it covered the noise so completely. Of look, it, they're professionals, I, okay? The I thought they did, and he didn't I, scream. I thought they did. Oh, they they I think they they gagged him, but oh, I thought right. they did a pretty good job of showing why the guys down in the car who are supposed to come up if there's trouble. Um, like, like the camera pans down to the car and he's like flirting with this lady in a, in a, a bikini. And in terms of sound, you go from the turning up the volume of the thing and the street noise and you cross the street to the thing. And then you see the guy and he's clearly distracted by the, 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 the girl in the bikini. And so I bought that he's not going to hear the chainsaw over the ambient noise between them and the closed apartment door. Right. So I bought that. That was one of the, that was one of the things that like, okay. And I I imagine the neighbors are like used to noise stuff, uh-huh. maybe even screams coming from next door. It's like, I don't want anything to do with that. So uh, I, in terms of that, I think I, I bought that particular part. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, they're new to this. This is the, their first or their second gig mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the gig economy of the lifestyle that they're leaping into. Um, but it was also like another example of how everything in this movie is on a spectrum that starts at 10 and mm-hmm. goes up from there. Cause he brought a chainsaw to a drug deal. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. yeah, this, this scene is in my mind is the most Brian De Palma scene in the movie, you know, like Brian De Palma, the director is great at the, you know, like he's kind of like, you know, in the vein of like a modern Hitchcock 
you know, with like his his movies like Carrie and The Untouchables and and like he, and, and a lot of people would know him from, uh, you know, the first Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's so good at creating these suspense scenes and then just adding on to it and then just adding an intensity to it and creating these very visual, visceral scenes. Mm hmm. You know, like yeah. my my entry into Brian De Palma was The Untouchables, which yeah. has some really like if if I and I know that Craig, I, I think we even watched The Untouchables a couple times together. I think we did. Um, yeah, because that was like one of the movies your dad had on Laserdisc. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. And a premium adult movie, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, there are some brutal memories and scenes in in the untouchables and you see that here in Scarface. in scarface mm -hmm. mm. well and i think when you think about like because i kept asking myself as i was watching this why do people idolize tony montana what is it about tony montana that makes people like get tattoos of him and mm. have like you know posters of him up in their dorm rooms and i think it's because his attitude is like when omar the second in command is like oh okay so your friend got chainsawed you just you, uh, okay oopsie doopsie um give me the money and i'll take it to frank lopez tony's like Actually, I will take it to Frank Lopez. And it's like, okay, you'll, it's like he's hypnotizing them. Okay, you'll take it to Frank Lopez. Mm. Um, and he just like demands to be included. He, he doesn't want to be just another soldier, even though, mm. like, um, Omar, who is um, F. Murray Abraham's character, uh, calls him behind his back, calls him a peasant. It's like mm -hmm. he may be like really good at this, but he's just a peasant. He needs to be a button man. He needs to be a soldier mm -hmm. and nothing more. But it's like, okay, so give me the, you got the drugs and you kept the money. That's great. Uh, give them to me and I'll give them to the boss. He said, no, 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 I'm giving them to the boss. I want him to know what I had to go through to get this. Mm -hmm. And um, the, that, that's kind of the first step of the American dream is not just to be good at what you do, but to make sure people know you're good at what you do. Make sure the right people know you're good at what you do. And so Tony was not just going to like, hey, I'm going to get I, wait for wait for praise to come my way, but to go out and like get some recognition and be assertive about it. Mm -hmm. well, I I think like anyone who like any of the movie like icons or you know um, characters that we love, there's a certain degree of 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 power fantasy you know like with the superheroes or indiana jones or any of these people that you want to be like you know it's like you know tony's motto is the world is yours you know like he, people are gonna say no to him and he's he gonna literally say, sees on the side of a blimp at one point yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it becomes like a giant fountain in his, uh, you know, in his living yeah. room. In the front of the house and in the living room. Like, he found a, a decor theme and just really stuck with it because he's got yeah. it in yeah. two, at least two but, different places. But, yeah, it's like a, a power fantasy, you know? Like, if everyone is denying you, it's great to say, fuck you, I'm going to take it, you know? Yeah. And, you you know, you dress for the job you want. Yes. Is yeah. the lesson. Uh, and you ask for what you want. And um, you don't get high on your own supply. Except you do. 
you everybody in this movie is getting so high on their own supply. Um and that's the next scene. It was more of a guideline, really. It really was. It was it was that's why it was those... rule number two and not rule number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh so we meet Michelle Pfeiffer, we go to the club, we dance, dance, dance. Uh Tony is immediately trying to pounce on Michelle Pfeiffer, who is his boss's lady. Um, and he gives him the rules. I completely don't remember rule number one. R- what's rule right. number one, you guys? Do you remember? Hmm. I don't. It's don't talk it about Fight Club. It, it didn't rhyme, so I don't remember what it was. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then we get the next scene with the iconic thing where Tony is talking to uh, Manny, and they're drinking fruity drinks out of melon. Yeah, melons. Like coconuts. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the women. The women are step three. Mm-hmm. First, money, then power, then the women. Um, and he buys a car to impress Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, he, like, literally doesn't care if anyone knows that he is, like, after Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. And then... He is not a man of subtlety. No, there's any way, shape, or form. But but at the same time, he does have rules, you know. Yeah, Uh, and that's the thing. He's not just completely unbridled, you know, ego. Like I get the sense that he is, until Robert Loja is no longer deserving to be his boss. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, there's never a time when he's like double crossing or betraying him. Right. Um, he's he not doesn't gonna, go after I, him until, until yeah. uh, he, he tries to assassinate him. him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like he would, you know, he's he would legitimately cheat on with Michelle Pfeiffer if Robert Loja deserved to be his boss. And then mm-hmm. the moment that he doesn't, then he's going to go for her. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, we have kind of like this this flirting back and forth where he's obviously trying to to warm her up, but. I got the feeling like he wouldn't have betrayed Robert Loja, his boss, um, if he was still honorable to him. And then there's I think a point. You're right. yeah, yeah, and you're then right. there's a point where obviously in the story where Robert Loja and him are at each other's throats and that's off. You know? Well, and that there's even a moment beforehand too where he's in Bolivia. Um, uh, doing a big time deal with a big time Bolivian drug guy, uh, the supplier, the supplier who on upon whose high we won't supply. Su- yeah, <laughs> um, uh, he's he's trying to put the deal together. He's killed Omar out the side of a helicopter, and still Tony's like, "Well, but we can't cut Frank out, Frank." Frank's got to be part of this thing. He's he's the boss. That mm-hmm. would have been a moment where he could have betrayed oh, him. He said, yeah, yeah, let's get rid of Frank, and you and I will work through this together because we know what we're doing, and Frank clearly doesn't. He could have turned mm-hmm. on Frank behind his back there, but he actually stood up for him. I, yeah. at, least, at least gave lip service to standing up for him. Yeah, and, and then there's a pivotal point later on, which is ultimately his downfall, which is there's a point to where he is supposed to kill this person um, with, for the Bolivians. Mm-hmm. And, and then he sees that the, the target um, has his wife and kids with him and he refuses to. 
Yep. He yeah, kills the it, other guy instead. He yeah. has the um the the supplier's personal assassin who doesn't speak English and they're in New York to assassinate this guy by bombing his car by remote control. And uh and that's absolutely a line he won't cross. Yeah, and and he is oh, by the way, um I'm pretty sure that uh the assassin guy who didn't speak English <laughs> was um Hector Salamanca from Breaking Bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, that, that was, and there's clearly a very strong parallel between Breaking Bad and this movie. Yeah. Uh, when, when, when difference though, is that uh, Walter White never got high on his own supply and that was never even like a temptation for him. Right. So, and he, he had his downfall almost very similar to Tony Montana's downfall nonetheless. So it wasn't specifically Rule number two being broken, that was Tony Montana's downfall. Yeah. Uh, this, is, uh, this movie is a literal adaptation of, like, the 20s and 30s gangster movies, mm-hmm. you know? Um, this is a, a remake of Scarface from 1932 with Howard Hawks. And then, obviously, there was not the whole Cuban aspect to it, but the whole idea of someone coming from the bottom – and then their ambitions growing out of control and then ultimately being their downfall. This movie, even though, you know, it's in sun-drenched Miami and everyone is doing insane 80s Cuban accents and and all that, this is a gangster movie, like an old-time gangster movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Including the part that we have to have in all gangster movies is uh, Mama Montana. (laughs) <laughs> who, unlike in a in like a Goodfellas, where she's feeding them all yeah. spaghetti and and so proud of her boy, and they're kind of putting the blinders on what they do for a living. Yep, she's very aware of what he does for a living, and then wants nothing to do with it, and what? wants to like shield her daughter, her 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 baby daughter, uh, from the older brother's uh, sinful ways because yep. she's still innocent. At least at the, at the beginning of the movie, um, like when he when he goes to visit them, she is like, I think she's like 18 or 19 years old at that point. Mm -hmm. And, um, is like, Oh boy, it's Tony. I haven't seen you in years. And she's like, she's going to go to like, uh, school to become a hairdresser or something. And she wants to do legitimate stuff. And she's kind of got a normal life set up, but then Tony comes in and the mom is like, no, you're going to corrupt my daughter. I don't want anything to do with you. Get out of my house. You're a bum. You're a like, bum. He's a bum. Yeah. Take this so bum money. Rather than being putting on the blinders like a in another like an Italian mother might do, like oh no, they do they do good to him. He's a good boy. Um, yeah. uh, she is like no, I know what you are, and I don't want anything to do with you. Get yeah. Um, and I love Mama Montana. I love that. So that's this is where Tony gets his uh, no subtlety. Mm-hmm. He gets it from Mama <laughs> direct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of like lines I wanted to talk about too that come up in this part. When Tony is with the Bolivians, he says, uh, all I've got in this world is my balls and my word, and I don't break them for anybody. Mm-hmm. Why is that not one of the main quotes of this I thought, movie? I, I thought that was a pretty good line too. I yeah, it was great. <laughs> and then the Bolivian guy, Sosa, is like, uh, I'm only going to tell you this once. Don't fucking fuck me. And it made me think, no, you should probably remind people of that. 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, they tell them once, great. But like maybe at the end of every meeting being like, okay, and now remember, what do we say? Don't <laughs> fucking fuck me. Okay, now we all remember. Um, that should be like on the on the board in the employee break room. Right, on, on the letterhead that he yeah. sends. Yeah. sends. Uh, so this is where we get the breakup between Tony and Frank because Tony sees the value in um expansion in huge crazy expansion and frank is like whoa 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 let's stick with what we got yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah frank can see further down the line that as things get bigger they also get more dangerous Mm -hmm. uh which is right after when he goes to the pool and is like okay michelle pfeiffer i broke up with your uh with Frank, which means I want you to marry me. Mm-hmm. Kissy, kissy, mm-hmm. kissy. Then, so Frank's, er, Frank and Tony are doing their own thing. We get that whole scene where his little sister is at the club and she's getting high on her own, her supply. So not she's not getting high on mm-hmm. the supply you're not supposed to get high on. She's getting high on uh, an approved uh, Who's supply. supply is she getting high on? The guy who's grabbing her ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Tony loses his mind mm-hmm. and like beats the hell out of this guy for touching his sister's uh, behind. And this is an important. You're touching my sister's behind. Punch you, punch, sir. Punch. Slap, slap. I challenge you to a duel. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, his, and it's not big brother protective as much as it is kind of very creepy possessive of her. Mm-hmm. Or at least I, it, he is very, um, just say he's very possessive of her innocence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I feel like seeing her more like him makes him angry. Right. Yeah. I feel like his sister is that there's a tiny little marble of of a good person inside Tony Montana. And she's inside that little protective shell along with like the idea of having a family of kids and and things like that mm-hmm. you know like that everything outside of that is you know uncontrolled ambition and greed but in that protective little core inside him is that part of that's actually still good that innocence mm-hmm. and so when he sees that in his sister being intruded on and her entering his world he just freaking loses it. Yeah. Uh, there was another line I wanted to talk about where he is confronting Frank. Frank comes to the club on this same day. It's a bad day. Bad day for Tony yeah, this Tony's day. Tony's having a bad day. He is. Um, and he says, the only thing that gives orders is balls. And it really it sent me down a whole imaginary thing of like Tony being like, Come on, balls. Help me out. What do I do? And the balls being like, well. Chimney well, cricket. A here's spotlight. what I think, Tony. <laughs> I think kill everyone, Tony. It's all right. It's all right. Yep. <laughs> right. Scarface. Scarface the musical. Yep. Uh, and we also see one of my least favorite things is when they show stand-up comedy in movies. We need to talk about... Octa- Octavio the Clown. Oh, it's so bad and what, so upsetting. 
what is going on? That is the only time in this movie where I go, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Because at first he's just doing bad stand-up comedy and it's and everyone's like, that's the thing about bad stand-up comedy and like gangster movies is that they, they tell the lamest joke and everyone's like, ha ah, ha 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 Because they're drunk. Uh-huh. I guess. Yeah. Ah, ha, 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 ha. And they just love to laugh, you know? They just love to laugh. Um, but then he dresses up in a fat suit as Frank Sinatra and just wanders around the room. Is that who he was supposed to be? I thought so. I, a, and, Frank Sinatra's song that's I playing. Like, I thought when I saw that going and he's got the mask on and the, the fat suit going, I thought like, oh, he must be like one of the assassins. I, so I, I, so, oh, he's just cavorting around like that's his stick. That's his so, routine. I think so. Richard Belzer was the comedian. I don't think he was in the fat suit. I think they brought in a clown who just is like this distorted, weird, melted. It's not like there's any clown makeup. It's just like he's in a weird full body fat suit and just kind yeah. of bow- waddling around and everyone is freaking losing it. Mm-hmm. But he gets he gets shot. And that's what's important because there's yeah. these there's two assassins who shoot literally everyone in the club. Except, except for Tony, Tony. Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, and. and- this is the big, this is the end of things between Tony and Frank. Yeah, it's all downhill from here. Yep. Uh, he kills, he he survives the complete destruction of his club. He, he has. He a, uses his, his assistance to, when he's going to see Tony, He he's pretty sure Tony ordered the assassination. Right, but to but, be sure, he has his buddies call him while Tony is there and say, hey, he got away. Uh, which was would be like so right, right, right. So, so, so he's sure that Frank ordered to confirm that Frank yeah. was the one who actually ordered it. Right, right. He, he Tony still needs one little bit of proof. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but he also kills the cop who's trying to shake him down. Shake him down too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the so. third guy is just standing there, and he's like, "What are you gonna do with me?" And he's like, "I don't know. You want a job? Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is the best was, job yeah. interview ever." I just work here. After he base he kills Frank and takes control of the organization, the first thing he does is go to Frank's house, get Michelle Pfeiffer out of bed, and say, "Hey, Frank's dead. You're mine now. I like you're the treasure I just won. Yay! And I rescued you. <laughs> go, yeah, he he yeah he is uh, in his own mind. He is a knight who just slew the dragon and saved the princess. Mm-hmm. And mm. That's when, when she's going to get her stuff, he's sitting out in the balcony and looks up in the sky and sees a blimp go by, and the blimp in big LED lights says, the world is yours. And I was Pan thinking, Am Airlines. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not like, subtle. Know. Not a subtle image. Not a subtle theme for Tony at this point. He's just, you should feel like you conquered everyone. Yeah. Dot, dot, uh-huh. dot. TWA. And there's like a very short happiness montage where he's like, I bought a tiger. There's lots of money. Um, I bought a salon. There's lots of money. Like that's the only happiness he gets. And then immediately afterwards, everything goes to trash. He's like, I hate being in my bathtub. My wife is always mad at me. (laughs) He's like, they're out to a nice dinner. And he's like, what's the point of all this? You turn 50 and you get fat. And then, yeah, you, you, some it, of us get fat like, before 50, <laughs> but, and, and Elvira is like, yeah, 
you, you don't you see we're not winners we're losers and i'm not stoned you're stoned <laughs> that's my favorite line of this movie <laughs> i'm not stoned you're stoned uh but she and he he really like he's like your womb is so full of cocaine that there's no room for a baby uh and she's is, like well that's the last straw i i will be leaving you now good day it is, sir it is worth noting and and nathan mentioned that tony for all his insanity and his murderous you know psychopathy um he has a moral code he won't kill the wife and children of the guy he's supposed to assassinate later on but also like his his buddy manny is kind of a ladies man at least early on and but he is like he's got eyes for michelle pfeiffer right and um even when they're married and their their marriage is a sham at this point and they hate each other there's no like other woman on his girl on his arm on saturday Mm -hmm. night he's not sleeping around he he wants a family he wants one wife he wants kids he wants to have a family life. He just wants all of the money in the world to be there as well. Yeah. And so the two halves of him, the one who wants that and the one who is craving more and collecting everything else, uh, he doesn't realize that they are not compatible. Hmm. Uh, but the loyalty to his wife, not as a person, but as you're my wife and you should be having, you should be giving me children. It's not, well, you're no good, so I'm going to divorce you, or I'm just going to sleep around on you. There, yeah. it's, it's just he has resigned himself to uh, that normal life is so decayed that it's never actually going to be good. And he believes that once she has another Quaalude, she'll be back and she'll love him again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, she needs a supply from which to get high. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what Tony is to her. Uh, mm-hmm. And then everything goes downhill extra speedy fast. He doesn't assassinate the um, target. He kills Hector Salamanca instead. And then it's like, oh, just a string of bad days for Tony because no one can find Gina and Manny. Michelle Pfeiffer still hasn't come back to the house. And now he has to go to war with the Bolivians. He ha- This is the moment where he has because the-, the assassination was botched because yes. he killed the assassin rather than the target. He has a pile of cocaine on his desk. Literally a pile. Like it's a like, pyramid of cocaine. And he just keeps smashing his face into it. <laughs> this is one of those classic cinematic moments in the last 100 years that should always be in every montage about movies. Mm-hmm. Smashing your face into a mountain of cocaine? Yes. And like yes. in the real Hollywood. world, whatever that is, you know, whether it's like whatever that is he's putting so much of it into his body <laughs> like i mean oh. yeah al pacino is right that's what mm-hmm. i mean it's like <laughs> take after take you know how you you rarely see people actually eating on film because they do 20 takes and that's 20 takes of them eating a bowl of soup because they have to replace the soup because for continuity you need to be actually if you're eating in one take you need to be eating in all of the takes and so if if you're doing a meal, they just have food in front of them and they're talking, but no one's touching their food. Because if you actually see them eating, then they have to, for continuity, all 20 takes, they have to be eating the exact same food in the exact same way. So mm-hmm. he's, he's, you know, snorting baby powder or whatever that is for however many takes it took to get that, that sequence done. Ugh. So 
So. Yeah, you can't. You can't. I mean, there were times where I, w- I was like really invested in trying to figure out what was actually happening. And so there are times where it's like, OK, the little spoon was empty and he was just faking it when he's slamming his face down in there. There's no way to fake that. Mm-hmm. Oh, his brain was so full of whatever that substance was, whether it was like actual cocaine. I, I or like the line powder like, oh, my God. I like the line that he said. It was a, it was one of his few understated lines. It was him by himself. Um, he just killed Manny because he thought Manny was having an affair with his sister, but they were actually married. And um, the uh, Bolivians are on their way to assassinate him. He's going to go, even if he survives, he's going to jail for, um, uh, uh, he, he got caught in a sting. And so his, his life is falling apart and he's clearly high as a kite on his own supply as a kite, but he's like sitting at standing at his desk all by himself. And he's kind of staggering around and says, have to get it organized. I have to get it organized. And he kind mm-hmm. of picks up the phone and puts it down and he's like <laughs> trying to pull it together. Cause he yeah. knows uh, this is like, you know, I'm in, I'm in real trouble here. I need to get going here. So it's like, you know, he has an organized mind. He is yeah. very cunning, but he is so out of it right now both emotionally and pharmaceutically that he can't collect himself enough to, to use that cunning to figure out what to do next. Right. And I like that. Um, yeah. I, I did I, like that part where he was picking up the phone and putting the down the phone. Yeah. 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 He's like, what do I do with this pile of cocaine? Do I just kind yeah, of shift, organize. get around? All right. That, yeah, that looks good. All right. Look over here. Do I have some papers like, I can shuffle on my desk? There's just cocaine on my desk. There's like, a phone. I'll pick up the phone and put it down. It's, it's just, like his pile of laundry. That's how I relate is that I have a pile of laundry in my house that I just have to be like, oh, company's coming. How do I make this pile of laundry yeah. look more presentable? <laughs> Needs to be more of a stack and less of a pile. Exactly. Right? I just need to move it from room to room. So I I have a bit of a, an, an aside. So it's um, when I was in high school, so I was at South Mountain High School. We were making a lot of short films. Um, we, I was actually in a, a a TV video production class, and it was like half the day. Um, and so there was one of our friends who we didn't know really well, but we wanted to kind of like branch out and, and, you know, we were getting people to work on that. We didn't know to work on our movies. And we were also trying to, you know, be on other people's movies and help them out, you know? Um, and so we did a, a couple of, we were doing kind of a gangster movie. Um, you know, he, he, he was doing a gangster movie. And what I didn't realize is it was a literal recreation line for line of Scarface. Yay. <laughs> he was rush mooring it. Uh, but um, there was one scene and, and we had no reference. He never told us that it was Scarface. It was just li- a literal recreation of Scarface. Um, Were the shots the same or just the dialogue? Well, just the dialogue. I don't think it was as as uh, as uh, as much of a, a shot by shot recreation that's such a bummer because there you have it right for it that's how you learn right <laughs> I know. but um the last day that we helped him out on the shoot <laughs> we were we, we were using a bunch of guns um and um these were real guns what? Um, <laughs> wait what wait what uh-huh well, record scratch 
<laughs> well, and so it's like, okay, we assumed that the, this was safe, that there wasn't any ammunition on it. And during oh. one of the takes, someone cocks the shotgun and then his friend goes like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. I just saw a round go in there. Um, you have got to be fucking kidding me right now. Oh, if, then, oh my God. If you could see my face right now, it couldn't then, get any wider. Yeah, the shotgun was a during the scene was apparently actually loaded. <gasps> um, and so oh, no. he unloaded it and it's like, okay, let's continue. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and we went with no. it. And then we, we never came back. <laughs> no. I yeah. am so shocked right now. <laughs> I can't process this information. <laughs> What oh, no. the actual fuck, Nathan? Okay, yeah, your life been. was in danger. PSA for all young filmmakers: Just you unload need your be, guns. Use fake guns. Use I don't care that it looks plastic. Guns. If you're going to use real guns, you have to you you have to make absolutely positively sure there's not even ammunition on the set, and certainly not like in the chamber. Where did like, he get oh them? No. Why did he bring them? You were at a school? No, Ooh. no, I was oh. at his house. He was a oh. friend from school. Oh, yeah. okay. I I was picturing oh, you no. doing this at school. No, no. We were at his house. Oh my god. Oh, Still. No. Doesn't David, make it better. Your life was in danger. <laughs> uh-huh. Or Bracken's was. Oh my, my god. Bracken, yeah. Or Bracken. Oh, I can't. probably oh, in more my, danger than I was. Oh, I dear. can't even i can't no no that's why you didn't tell me the story (laughs) when we saw each other the other the other day Uh uh-huh it's like oh no i gotta save this one yeah oh my god that's not at all where i thought that story was going (laughs) wow well luckily you're here with us today and and bracket is safe and sound it's true Oh, my God. So we're down to just the end of this movie where he's killed his best friend. Mm-hmm. He's kidnapped his sister. His house is literally crawling with Bolivian assassins. And it's say hello to my little friend time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun the fun fact that shot where it's all the Colombians running in through the living room and it kind of cranes up as they're running on both sides up the staircase. That shot was directed by Steven Spielberg. Oh. Yeah. He was okay. just he was visiting the Brian De Palma and he, he are friends and he was visiting the set and then helping out on a second unit shot. So. Oh. Well that's fun when you could get Steven Spielberg to help out that, on your movie. Yeah, they had that that group of friends that were the the new auteur filmmakers mm-hmm. of the 70s and 80s and and the Palmer and Spielberg were in that circle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just a And I bet Spielberg made sure that none of the guns were actually loaded. I bet he he was like, "Can they all be holding walkie-talkies?" Now Brian, I know you. Can I check to make sure there's not actual shells in that shotgun? What if they're all holding phones? <laughs> um. Let me pitch you this, Brian. Okay. <laughs> well, they're all running up the staircase just holding walkie-talkies. <laughs> um, so there's we have there's the very very creepy part where the sisters like uh oh you don't want you don't want anyone else to have me. I guess you want to have me, Tony. Oh my god, it's so disturbing. Right, we're like, where is this coming from? (laughs) She's the first one to shoot him. 
implied yes. incest is yeah. a great way to end your movie. Um, <laughs> and yeah, she's yeah. like half naked in his office with a gun, and she's like like coming on to him because she's basically her new See, her, her her mind is broke at this point. Yeah, she yeah. she's broken, and he is like you know high as a kite. And the assassins yeah. are right outside the door, ready to assassinate him. And she's like shooting at him, and he's like hiding under the desk. And then the assassins come in and like basically mow down the person they see, which is her. And um, then he goes and kills the assassin. And like then she's dead. She's clearly dead. And he goes over and cradles her corpse and is talking to her like she's, no, you're just hurt. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. You stay here. I'm going to take care of this. Like he can't process that she's dead now. Mm-hmm. And he is now completely snapped, and now he's just on, you know, psychotic rampage mode. Yep. And he mm-hmm. he gets like in the final thing after everyone has said hello to his little friend, he gets shot like forty times, and he's standing there going, "Keep shooting me, bros! Yeah, keep mm-hmm. shooting me! You can't get me! I'm Tony Montana!" <laughs> and then so, it takes one like- guy from behind. He's got 500 hit points, he does. He does. So, so this is the perfect time for me to... Um, so there there was a video game uh, uh, called Scarface, The World is Yours. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read just a small section of the review on Please. IGN. Please do. Um, which I think portray, uh, it, 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 it lines up really well with um, what we've got here. Okay, so <clears throat> this is from the review. When you filled the balls meter... You're, enter, you're able to enter rage mode, where you'll fight in a first-person perspective for a short while with unlimited ammo and invulnerability. Wow. You fill wow. the you're, you're saying you fill the balls Your meter. Balls meter gets full. And, and then, then you then enter you rage mode. mode which I have to know. Happens in this movie. I have yeah, to know. Yeah. Because in, in the Legends of Zelda that I'm used to playing from the 80s, you have little hearts that are mm. either full or not full. Are there little images of testicles <laughs> that are various degrees of full? And how many are there? And how many mm, are there? Right. Are there two that are just... Bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah, it gets yeah. to five balls. Oh, you go to the wizard and you get another ball slot. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm so happy that you shared that um, with us. Um, so here's the hard part, you guys. How, how do you rate this on a scale of an empty balls meter? To a full, full balls, a full ten, ten. balls. <laughs> How many balls do you give this movie? Because I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It's it's tough because you know it's it. Ultimately, you have to go with how you enjoyed it. You mm-hmm. know, some people this is the perfect movie. You know, this is their Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, for me, I would probably put it at a seven in terms of my enjoyment of the whole experience. Okay. From from the 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 crazy moments. I mean, ultimately, it's about these crazy moments and this crazy character, right? You know? Um, and how much you enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And you enjoyed it seven balls worth. Yeah, I would say I would give it seven balls. Okay. How many balls do you give it, Craig? I you you do have to see it. And appreciate it for what it is. Did it do what it wanted to do? It may not be my thing, but 
it, it did accomplish a lot of what it tried to do, and then it accomplished it. Did, it failed to accomplish something deeper. I think mm. it was trying to be a little more. It was trying to be an '80s version of The Godfather, and in mm. that, it did not succeed. Um, the, but in terms of being a uh, an action symbol of the dark side of the American dream, making it big and losing your soul in the process and you know blood and guts and a little bit of sex um it got the job done and um it had some very good one-liners it had some very over-the-top performances by a particular actor mm-hmm. uh i like did i enjoy it i i experienced it yeah. um <laughs> i didn't hate it um i'm i i gotta have to give it a five and it sounds like it's middling or so-so it's none of those things it's just Not it accomplished yeah. It accomplished what it meant to intended to do, and it failed to accomplish some of the other stuff it failed to do, and I experienced it. And mm. um, so, yes, I'm going to give it like a, a solid five. I, I, yeah, okay, okay. I hear what you're both saying, um, but I, and I did not enjoy watching it. Right. And I remember enjoying watching it when I was a young person. Um, but now I am just like, but I think that like some of the movies, unlike some of the movies that we talk about, like mannequin, where it's like, Mm -hmm. you have to see this movie because you're going to have a blast. Um, you're going to love this rating this for this, for this movie. It's so subjective. It's less of this is what this movie is. And more of this is how my enjoyment value was. But Mm -hmm. I think the opposite, because I think you have to see this movie, like whether or not you enjoy it, you have to see this movie because it's so a part of the, of the everything. Mm -hmm. Um, It's in the zeitgeist. It's, it's part of our culture, pop culture. It's kind of on the 80s movies must watch list, like exactly. the short list, the short list. You don't have to like it, but you have to watch it. Exactly. Yeah. So th- for that reason, I'm going to give it a 7.5. Oh, because, wow. and because and the lines, the lines, I think, make it worthwhile, even if it's not like my even if it's not something <laughs> I'm going to tattoo on my inner forearm, uh, the whole <laughs> line about like <laughs> balls. There's just so much talk about balls um, that's so important for us to know. So I give it 7.5 balls. All right. Um, that's a lot. Do you go into berserker mode now? I do. It's, I filled up my it's, balls. It's later. rage mode. It's rage mode. <laughs> oh, rage mode. Sorry. Um, so what about a deep cut recommendation? Um, mm. What are you What are you thinking are you gonna go something gangstery? So, so for me, this is um, the idea to do this um, to do this movie for the podcast came from a film essay um, by Patrick H. Willems. Um, so I'm I'm so Patrick H. Willems is a successful YouTube film essayist, um, and they're entertaining. Um, but he did one segment. Uh, one episode called "What Is the Most Eighties Movie Ever?" Mm. Uh, you know, there I won't say who won, uh, but there were other movies like Flashdance mm. and um, uh, Rocky Four and Top mm. Gun. Mm-hmm. But 
the most 80s movies had to have been something that could have only been made in the 80s. Yes. Okay. The music so, here is yeah. synthesizer. Right. There's, soundtrack. There's, it feels it's saturated with 80s. Right. And and then there's movies that we feel that are iconic movies from the 80s, mm-hmm. but honestly could have been made in the 70s or 90s. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So I would say if you want to dive in deeper about what makes Scarface great and makes it so eighties and just want to sit down for a longer form, you know, discussion on what makes an eighties movies, then I would recommend Patrick H. Willems. What is the most eighties movies ever? And we've, we've, the fun thing is that we've covered a number of those yeah. movies that I'm they do. upset that he didn't consult with us. Cause I have some yes. thoughts about mannequin that I need to share. Right. <laughs> um, the classic. Okay. The classic. When, what, I need people to know about vibes. Okay, so if he's mm-hmm. not talking about, vibes. you know, I noticed vibes is now streaming. I think where's it? Was it streaming on Amazon or maybe it's yeah. on one of those? Like yes, yeah. So guys, ugh. you know what? One of the movies he covers in in the essay is one that I continually have tried to get on the podcast, but every time we we gear up to do it. Um, it's not available anymore on any normal streaming platform. Is that American is, Ninja uh, one? No, no in, Invasion USA. Invasion USA. Yeah. With Chuck Norris. So we I did Delta wait. Force. Yeah. We've got to do it now because it was on the short list. I can't wait. Not perform yeah. well. Um, <laughs> but it was great. I loved it. What's, um, what's your deep cut recommendation, Craig? All right, well, My Deep Cut is a movie that is also from the 80s, has a very similar plot line and a similar location, um, but it is much less well-known, but it is way more fun. Um, it is called Miami Connection. <gasps> <laughs> I know Miami Connection! It, yeah, it is It is uh, a uh, a local college rock band runs afoul of some motorcycle cocaine ninja gang uh, because they took their band gig and um, action and adventure ensues. And I love the film. It's what it's. it's when so did you bad. see the movie? Did I ever force that on you? Because no, I've... I, um, I've, I've seen it in a couple of, I've seen it actually um, on its own. But before I did that, I saw a red letter media review of it. And I saw a there's a riff tracks on YouTube. There's a riff tracks mm. commentary of it that is hilarious. It, it's um, almost like the room. It's like there's so many different portals in discovering Tommy Wiseau's movie The Room that I'm glad that you discovered Miami Connection because I've seen that like five times. It it, it made <laughs> me. I was thinking of Miami Connection all while I was watching Scarface. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. I was thinking, I want to watch Miami Connection again now. That would Because I, w- I would have a lot more fun if I was watching Miami Connection. Yeah, um, I love that movie. Great, great, great pull. Um, so mine, I already mentioned once, uh, my deep cut recommendation is Rushmore because much, hey. like, uh, <laughs> much like Nathan's experience, uh, one of the things that Uh, the character from Rushmore does in his very active uh, creative life is to put on plays that he writes himself, but they're, (laughs) but they're all eighties gangster movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the whole time I was thinking about this, I was just like, 
experiencing it from the point of view of like the character from Rushmore taking Max little Fisher. notes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and being like. Da, 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 in this scene, blah blah blah. This is the play that I wrote. No, it's not. It's Scarface. You dink. Um, and I, I, I do love that movie. So that's my. Yeah. I have, I have twenty minutes of the actual movie on film in one of my closets. Uh, Rush, from you Rushmore. Need to dig that oh. out. Wow. Oh, I thought yeah. you meant from the Rushmore that you made from your no, no. dangerous gun movie. No, that you the made. actual oh. Rushmore movie. I've got twenty minutes of the movie. <gasps> That's so neat. On film. Like on a reel. Yeah. 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 Um, was any uh, was anyone else surprised that he had the scar the whole time? Because I sort of thought we'd be getting to see him have the scar, but no, he had the scar the whole time. And it's never really, it's just, he got the scar at some point. He never tells why. And it's never brought up. The, the fact that he has a scar is brought up in the interview mm-hmm. at the very beginning of the movie with the, mm-hmm. with the INS people. And like, how'd you get that score? Oh, just I don't, I don't remember what his excuse was. But it was clearly was that. Yeah, was, he, got he, he got a scar. He got a scar being a punk, and um, that's all you need to know because it's never. No one even mentions the scar for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he has a, like, they they name the movie Scarface, so the main character has to have a scar. But apart from that, we're not going to address it at all. Right. Yeah. Um. So, Craig, where can people find uh, your uh, writings and creative resources? Uh, you look me up on uh, Facebook, Craig Michael Curtis, and uh, CraigMichaelCurtis.com. Excellent. Uh, Nathan, where can people go find your uh, very dangerously crafted <laughs> movies? Um, so Squishy Studios is still the best, uh, simplest source where you can kind of branch off and um, check out the feature film, the micro budget feature film project that um, we are now submitting to film festivals. Um, and um, and uh, we'll, that's where the news will be. Um, or, or, or you can check out the movie, which is the last movie ever made um, on Facebook uh, and on Instagram. I think we have a Twitter um, and, and uh, that's if you want to check out screenings. Um, I know we're definitely going to try to film uh, to screen locally, but we're submitting to a lot of festivals all over the country. Um, and so, yeah, if we have a festival near you, that's where you can check it out. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, You can find me at the Neighborhood Comedy Theater, The Place in downtown Mesa, Arizona, uh, or at Most Excellent Pod in the interwebs if you are outside of downtown Mesa, Arizona. Um, Please like and rate and review and all that stuff. And also, uh, now that we are on the True Story FM, um, I don't know if it's active yet, but soon we will be uh, open to membership if you want to hear a little bit more uh you can become a member and you get uh episodes a week early and you also get bonus content um which for this episode and for this uh double feature is going to be cribbed directly from my favorite podcast how did this get made where i'm going to be reading you amazon reviews of (laughs) these two movies (laughs) um so stay tuned for that um uh thank you for being an awesome guest once again mr michael curtis uh thank you for having me i'm it was great (laughs) to be back and um hey everybody while you're uh, out there in the world you know paying attention to what your balls say to do 
<laughs> also, try to keep the most excellent 80s movies podcast motto in mind. Be excellent to each other. And party, party on, on, dudes. On, dudes.